Hey everybody, this is Thomas flying solo here for this intro, where uh, I'm here to explain what exactly this audio recording is. For the Labor Day weekend, there was some scheduled conflict stuff where, uh, as you're listening to this, I'm arriving back home from Dragon Con. Adam had some stuff he had to deal with over the Labor Day weekend, so we put off recording a regular episode. Uh, Don't worry, we'll have a regular scheduled episode coming up next. But uh, for this, we decided to dig out something from behind our Patreon paywall. That's right over at patreon.com slash GEGBpod, as we like to promote on the show. If you just pay the $1 a month, you get bonus podcasts and get to vote in polls for certain things. And the thing you're going to listen to for this week is our top 10 robots from TV and film, which we put out uh, last February on the Patreon. And we do these in our rotation of bonus podcasts. You always get at least one bonus podcast every month. Uh, This is where Adam and I each have a top 10 list and we go down our lists for, in this case, uh, robots from TV and film. Uh, and uh, it's a fun time. Uh, there's a lot of interesting sort of twists and turns that are about for this particular one. But it's just a sampling of what you can get for, like I said, that $1. You get a bunch of bonus stuff like that. Or you get to vote in polls as well, which we sh- I should mention. Uh, the week that this bonus episode is going out in the main feed on the Patreon, uh, you all get to vote for a bad pick. September's here, but Halloween's around the corner. And every October, we like covering you know, a bunch of different spooky topics. And uh, for October, the poor movie franchise we'll be covering will be Hellraiser, given they just recently announced on Hulu there'll be a new Hellraiser movie finally out there uh, released on October 7th, so we're finally digging into that world of Hellraiser and you all get to vote between my two bad pick choices uh, for that. Uh, The two choices are Hellraiser Bloodline, the fourth film in the franchise, which is more commonly known as like Hellraiser in Space, uh, which was the last big theatrical release and had uh, Adam Scott in it. It's very weird. One hell of production problems. Down Smithy credit uh, for the director. And then uh, the other one is Hellraiser Hellworld. I think it's the fourth one released straight to video and uh, is also mainly about a bunch of MMORPG players who play this Hellraiser style game uh, that go out to a rave. Um, and uh, they have to face off eventually against the Cenobites, and Lance Henriksen's in it, a young Henry Cavill's in it, so there's a lot of fun to be had there, so it's between those two, Bloodline and Hellworld, that we'd be covering for that episode. You all, who are patrons, or edgelords as we call them affectionately, get to choose uh, which one of those bad picks we cover for the episode in a poll. And now, without further ado, here is, uh, from behind the paywall, our top 10 robots from TV and film. Enjoy. Edgelords, it's time we count down our top 10 movie and TV robots. Thomas, what is this thing you call love? Oh, Adam, I didn't program that into your software. Then why did you program me to feel pain? Oh, that was just for fun. I'm Thomas Mariani. And I am Adam Thomas. Yep, those software updates really worked. Now you're uh, talking fully normal again. Super clear. Super clear. Popping my peas. Yes, yes. So uh, welcome, Edgelords, to uh, the monthly episode um, where, uh, you know, every month we try and give you guys a, a bonus thing and 
it just has some sort of gratification for you supporting us every month, which we greatly appreciate, no matter how much you're spending. If it's just that $1 or a bit more, we always appreciate it. Um, this month, Adam, we're doing our uh, top 10 lists, and uh, we've done a few of these so far, but this is the first time we're not just doing a top 10 of general movies or anything. We are doing our top 10 favorite robot characters in TV and film, which uh, was something you wanted to do. Yeah, because it's awesome, because... Robots are great, and they've been a part of the sci-fi experience or the fantasy experience of children and people everywhere. Uh, I mean, how cool is it Like when you're playing as a kid and you think of robots and all this exciting universe? And I mean, of course, Star Wars probably had a lot to do with that, but robots to me are just the ultimate in sort of sci-fi fantasy. Yes, yes, of course, and obviously they've been a thing in literature and film. Do you know where the uh, the term comes from, Adam? No, I'm not a fucking dork. <laughs> I think this podcast will make many people realize that's not the case. Um, but it comes that's from, in uh, the 1920s, there was a play called uh, R.U.R., Rossum's Universal Robots, that originated the term. Cool. <laughs> oh, sweet. That's so badass. <laughs> Look, I wanted to get some education material in here, clearly. That's uh, before we go into um, less of a nerdy sphere and more of a geeky sphere. Because, folks, um, we got to tell you that uh, in the planning stages for this particular episode, uh, we had a discussion that is maybe the dorkiest thing we've ever done. And we didn't record it, but God, if you all heard it. And it was at a shocking length. <laughs> <laughs> it was hours long this was basically introduced as just like okay top 10 robots sure that'll be simple and then i just brought up a question to adam at one point after recording about like so does like a cyborg count as a robot and then that just started a whole it's thing viral was ridiculous <laughs> to the point where i had outside parties get involved <laughs> it's 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 ridiculous yes to the point where there are rules and parameters for this list we're going to go into before we do our lists um just as a start Jesus though Christ. <laughs> just as a start just to introduce, give you all the mindset that we were in um but first the obvious thing that's true of any of these different lists um for any of the patreon lists the first nine entries that we mention are not in any direct order but the last pick we do is our absolute number one favorite that's been the case since the beginning that's what we always usually stick to but now for this specific list, the dorky parameters are, one, these robots can be from TV and film depictions only. Obviously, if it's adapted from source material, it would be the screen depictions that would be allowed. Two, only robots with mechanical parts are allowed. No cyborgs with human parts or automatons brought to life through magic without any wiring or components that would be computerized. Let me finish before we keep laughing about this. Um, <laughs> uh, three, if a robot has synthetic skin, a la the Terminator, or consciousness of a human um, being in a physical robotic form without any other human fleshy parts in there, like Keanu Reeves' robot double and replicas, as we discussed on the show previously, those are allowed. But at the same time, uh, number four, no artificial programs with a synthetic computer environment are allowed. So no Agent Smiths from The Matrix, as an example. And then, uh, number five, um, only one robot per franchise is allowed, but a group of the same model of robot could be allowed. So, i.e., you could put either C-3PO or the Battle Droids as an entry on there from Star Wars, but not both. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't. That was probably the hardest one, though, to navigate through the sort of the Star Wars uh, rubbits. 
That's true. Or droids. I'm also very curious, Adam, because on our previous two lists we've done, we've only had one repeat on each other's lists. And I said to you before uh, we decided, when we decided to do this, I would suspect there would be more than one repeat between our two lists. And you wanted to challenge that. You figured that you would pick more obscure choices that you didn't think I would have. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I went that obscure, but I definitely tried to go a little bit off the cuff. After picking them, maybe we'll have one or two repeats, but I also have a full list of honorable mentions as well, uh, which, you know, I could cheat and uh, trade some of the honorable mentions for the repeats. You never know. You, I, I could never know if you were going to do it unless you confessed it, so this is recorded. But um, no, it'll be interesting, So, and we'll be doing this the way that we usually do the list in terms of reading them off, where uh, one person will go first then another person will go back and forth. And you know what, Adam, since you are you were the one who wanted to really do this list, why don't you start? What's your uh, first entry on your robots list? Well, at number 10, counting down, I have, uh, which is the first Rubit character that I can remember actually terrifying me, uh, is the classic Terminator 1 Arnold T-800. I think it is probably the most terrifying depiction of a robot on screen i argue that it's one of arnold's best performances ever and it's still chilling to watch to this day well adam uh we are already starting with a repeat because that is also on my list i had i was gonna go a bit lower on here for it wasn't number one but it was there um, yeah, I, I, we can talk about it a bit more. Yeah, the T-800, I think, is... Um, obviously, a lot of people would sort of gravitate to the T-1000, which you don't blame them for. Obviously, the T-1000 is dope. No, of course But at the same yeah. time, I think the T-800 is such uh, like intimidating presence, because in that first Terminator movie in particular, he is like a slasher villain. He is an upsetting, oh, monstrous oh. creature. I thought I had a drive-in over the summer, and he's still so intimidating, and Arnold rarely plays villains, but he was so good at playing a villain in that particular part. And I, I and I love the little things Arnold actually brought to it, to where he wanted him to be like a shark in the water, and how his eyes will go from side, and then his head will follow, and then go to the other side, and then his head will turn to match his eyesight. Those little details would make it a believable and b just terrifying. Yeah, and also it works despite the fact that like the original Inception that James Cameron had, I was going to have like a guy that blended into the crowd, like Lance Henriksen was who he thought of as originally for the Terminator. And then he decided to go with Arnold. Not a terrible idea, Lance Henriksen is the Terminator, but I would never say Lance Henriksen blends into a crowd either. That's true, but he would blend into a crowd more than giant-ass Arnold going around. Just like He's not very inconspicuous at all, <laughs> to say the least. I could believe Lance Henriksen would exist in our reality, as opposed to, if I saw Arnold, I'm just like, you're, a, you're something different. I don't know why. <laughs> what the fuck, Arnold? Yeah, I agree. No, but um, especially even like in the original movie, I love how the primitive sort of special effects of 1984 actually worked to the advantage of that movie, where whenever Arnold has like the eyepiece, it looks jittery in a way that looks like an android and has an uncanny valley thing suddenly come out. Oh, absolutely. I'd say 95% of the practical effects in that movie still hold up. There are a couple scenes where you're like, eh, where it's the fake Arnold head in the mirror, where it's so obvious. Yeah, it still looks legit. It's still terrifying. And the, the base design for this sort of the uh, endoskeleton of the T-800 is just nightmare fuel. Yeah, particularly when we get to part two and it opens on the horrible dystopia and you see it just turn. And come out of the fire too, and you're like, oh, fucking shit. Right, that's true. And how do you feel sort of about, I guess, the use of Arnold in some of the other movies then? Because he plays a T-800, obviously, in many, most of the entries of the franchises. Um, obviously, T-2, I know you're a fan of, but 
from there. Uh, I'd say T2 is probably the last good one. Not necessarily franchise-wise. Well, it is probably franchise-wise. I think the rest are very hit and miss. Uh, but I think that's the last time Arnold... Because Arnold, it was a perfect sort of counterperformance to the first one. Where the first one was so terrifying. And the second one, he's still incredibly intimidating. And you know he's like not to fuck with. But there's that sort of childlike you know, wonder to him as far as his relationship with John and stuff that really sort of bring it full, full circle. And I think the rest of the movies are sort of a pale imitation of either one or the two. Yeah. I mean, I love in T2, the smile, I think is Arnold's peak comedy uh-huh. moment. It's such like a funny fucking awkward thing to see him try and smile. It's so good. That when he picks up the toddler. Yes. Right. <laughs> From the back of its overalls and lifts it fucking to that kid like thirty feet in the air, but right. in reality like six Though I will at least give credit to I think in T three there's still some like fun action beats in particular using that character like the big action sequences that, that takes place with like the crane that's actually mostly practical. Um, I think it's one of the, the better ones of like the later sequels in particular. And I even I, I know I we have this difference of opinion, but I think the use of him in the uh, Terminator Dark Fate is at least, like, the best use they've had, honestly, so far with Arnold post-T2 in terms of just, like, having him off to the side and this, like, sort of weird, like, familial relationship he's had, I think is the most creative use, at least, of, like, that character. That isn't just the same repetitive thing we're talking about. I'll I'll give it the creativity behind it. I, I do agree with that, but other than that, meh. And plus, I think it's a better send-off for Arnold with that franchise than what they try to do with either Genesis or fucking T3. Especially Genesis. Genesis is a fucking dumpster fire. Yep. Anyway, um, I guess it's time for me to to, to to pick another one since you stole one of mine right off the bat. I'm, I'm very curious if this one's a repeat or not, um, but uh, I have a robot that I mostly knew just more from like pop culture osmosis, but I did recently see his debut feature... Um, and I really like him in it, and his other uses in pop culture, I think he's fun. I have Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet, who I think is just sort of like the perfect classic 50s-era robot. And I think especially in, like, because I knew him mostly, like I said, from pop culture. Like, he's in an episode of The Twilight Zone where it's really just his body, not his head. Um, he shows up in Gremlins and a few other things. But um, I always liked that design when I was a kid. I just think that's sort of like, especially whenever I drew a robot as a kid, it looked basically like Robbie the Robot. Because it's such like a perfect design for like what a robot would kind of look like. Um, and then when I, I recently saw Forbidden Planet, he's such an interesting character in Forbidden Planet where he's kind of an asshole. He's like a, we- he's a very sort of like gray morality character. If you haven't seen Forbidden Planet, basically it's The Tempest. Where, like, Leslie Nielsen and a bunch of other people in the 50s are in the starship. They land on this planet that's being ruled over by this guy who's, like, a scientist sorcerer guy. And has been living there with his daughter for a while. And also the robotic assistant, Robbie, who constantly is, like, very pithy, even though he's, like, giving people all these different, um, like, things that they want. He also does it with an attitude. It's a, He's a very interesting character. But, yeah, I think, especially even compared to, like, the Lost in Space robot, I think I prefer a Robbie, who has a bit more of a distinctive personality to him, no matter how many different times they used him in, like, weird sci-fi projects from there. Uh, Robbie the robot was originally on my list, and then he got bumped to honorable mentions. But, yeah, I think, he, I think you've said it all. I think Robbie the robot is probably the most iconic and look alone sort of classic sci-fi robot you could show that to anybody whether or not they know the name or anything they've seen that robot yeah if you've seen a joe dante movie you've probably seen that robot (laughs) 
you've seen Robbie the robot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I've seen, I don't know how many episodes of like even MTV's cribs or other shows like that, where so many people have a full scale Robbie the robot in their house. That's how identifiable and iconic it is. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely a good call. Like I said, he was on my list. I did bump him, but he is absolutely uh, number one on my honorable mentions. So yeah, I, I mean, you can't argue with Robbie the robot. Yeah, and also just the fun thing of him being created mostly as himself throughout various different yes, projects. Though, which is amazing. Right, which a credit, though, to the guy in the suit was uh, Frankie Darrow, and at least originally uh, Forbidden Planet, and the voice is Marvin Miller, who was in most of the different appearances. It was that voice. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Good, great call. Uh, but what, what about your next great call, sir? Go ahead. Well, you mentioned him in sort of a decrying matter, but I have... Robot from Lost in Space because it does not have a name. Because Danger Will Robinson is one of the most identifiable sci-fi lines of all time, and it comes from this robot. It's a perfect sort of companion for a little boy in this sci-fi sort of epic show. And, you know, whether it's the original show or the new Netflix show or even the awful movie, uh, the robot's a big fucking deal, man. And you get the idea why this kid would be so beholden to it. And this robot's almost like it's bodyguard and protector. Um, I, I just, I absolutely am enamored by that robot and all the different looks it's had and everything else. But still that one line is so iconic in the annals of fucking sci-fi movie history and television history to where it's like, I, I, I had to put him on the list. I mean, I, I mentioned him in slightly a decrying manner, obviously before, as you mentioned, um, I, I like the, you know, the robot from Lost in Space. I, I think I just it had a lot to do with one. My first exposure really to Lost in Space at all was that dumb movie, that terrible, awful movie. Oof. Where to be fair, I like the design of the robot in that movie. Um, I'll at least yeah. say hot take. I at least prefer it because it doesn't feel as much as it's ripping off a distinctive design of another robot as even the original is. Because the original, it's very much like a cheap Robbie the robot. That was always my problem, really, with it. To the point to where I honestly. Uh, when I was younger, thought it was the same robot. Well, even there's an episode where Robbie guest starred and he was like a villain robot. Yes, that's very true. And they fought each other. That was my one of the few episodes I saw of the show and my favorite because I was pro-Robbie. Robbie should have kicked his ass. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but but no, yeah, that's it's still an iconic portrayal. And obviously the Danger Will Robinson, all credit to the voice actor, of course. For, uh, for, for doing that, yeah. Um, which um, I should pull up his name. Um, Dick... Tufeld is the voice of the robot. Good for Dick Tufeld. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'll go ahead and go with my next option here. Um, and I have another one from um, an older sci-fi story. Um, but what I it's another one I recently saw, so it's a bit lower, I guess, on the list. But um, I love these little guys. Um, they are the drones uh, from Silent Running. If you're not familiar with Silent Running, basically, it's a movie from 1972 that stars Bruce Stern as this guy who's been working on the space station for several years where this is a future where Earth's um, vegetation has mostly been completely destroyed and this space station has like a whole botanical garden that's basically trying to keep vegetation alive out off of Earth Um, and Bruce Stern is so dedicated to it that when he finds out the space station is supposed to return back to Earth and the mission's over uh, he goes a little crazy 
and uh, starts basically uh, killing off the various different people one by one or jettisoning them out and stuff. And so he becomes the only human on there, but his companions are these little robots who are mainly sort of these designs where, like, they're square figures that have, like, little arms that jut out. You just got me that because I'm like, is this the one where they're basically little boxes? Yes. <laughs> yep. But, yep. I know exactly what you're talking. Right, about. the little boxes. Um, but yeah, I I love how they're very simple designs and they have obviously very little articulation. But you grow so attached to these robots as they try and get Bruce Dern to have like some kind of reason for living after a certain point when he gets space madness, literally up there in this fucking space station and he's trying to protect the vegetation and like they're also helping him but they're kind of ineffective after a certain point it's such a weird like cute charming ineffectiveness that makes you have more personality for these robots that don't seemingly have that much um and i love they're also called huey dewey and louie but um i i love the way that um they basically breathe so much life into these characters and bruce dern reacts off them so well and by the ending of that movie spoilers it's a bit of a tearjerker and man, I get, you get really swept up and just like, oh my god, these poor little fucking droids. Uh, which is also interesting because you can clearly tell it's inspiration for not just like Star Wars droids. Like there's so much of the various other background droids are all like the origin point. It's very clearly the silent running. But also even um, another show that's all sci-fi-ish, I'll probably mention a robot from on my list. There's a lot of influence this one has. Uh, and if you haven't seen Sound Running, I would definitely recommend seeking that out. That's a it's a very sort of like lost to time sci-fi film. You know, that's one I've seen once uh, when I was way younger. I have not revisited it, but I'm I actually I'm always on the lookout for forgotten sci-fi gems. So that's definitely one I want to revisit. And I'm, I'm really happy that you called that for one of your picks, because that's always the fun of these lists to sort of rediscover or discover for the first time a classic. So, awesome. Awesome call. Well, let's see if your next pick does that for me, Adam. What's your next robot pick? It's not going to It's, it's not going to but... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> My next robot pick, uh, well, it's Bishop from Aliens. You know, we talked about Lance Henderson playing the Terminator, and yet we got him playing this in another James Cameron movie. We got him playing a robot. And uh, I think I think Bishop is just fucking fantastic there there's nothing i my eyes are absolutely glued to the screen anytime bishop's on um he's a robot that is able to display so much sort of compassion and yet still feel alien enough to where he's computing the whole time it's just it's a wonderful wonderful performance by the end when he gets ripped apart and you see all the milk basically shoot out of him you genuinely feel bad and you genuinely like miss that in the later movies which obviously they tried to reduplicate with creating the other robots in the in the sequels uh but i'd argue like ash was great and uh i have an honorable mention for one of the other ones but i don't think it's ever been done as well as lance henderson's bishop um yeah i have a different alien robot um, who I think will maybe be my next choice. But before we go to that, yeah, I mean, Bishop was definitely, like, the, the three major robot characters in the Alien franchise all really cycled through for me, honestly, on this list. Uh-huh. Um, and Bishop's a great choice, I mean, especially because at that point, Ripley has such a phobia of robots that when she ends up, you know, coming to respect Bishop, it works so well in Aliens. It's such a, like, great dynamic between those two characters. And... Lance Henderson manages to convey a lot of that, like, sort of interesting depth without making him too emotional as a character. And especially when you get to, speaking of the sadness there, with Alien 3, 
where I would argue probably the best scene of Alien 3 is her bringing Bishop back up in his horrible, deformed state, and then eventually just, like, cutting it off. Um, I think is, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really upsetting scene that really works. I think gives you more closure than, you know, some people wanted that for some of the other characters they didn't quite get. And I think uh, that closure really works for Bishop in particular, the side of respect that she has for him by the end, which also makes Lance Nerkson showing up as the basis for Bishop all the more insidious and creepy by the end of that movie. Yeah, but then he gets his fucking ear ripped off and it looks so awful and painful. So it kind of deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> not saying you did. I mentioned Insidious, not, oh, he's so sweet, he's like Edwixen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at his big old weird eyes and cheekbones. <laughs> <laughs> he's so gone. Who's gone? You're gone. You got gone, little cheekbones. <laughs> um, uh, but unless you have anything else to say about Bishop, I think I should get to my alien android on here. Um, which, you know, the, the, the original had a pretty great robot, and uh, you mentioned him earlier. Fuck it, it's Ash from Alien. Um, I personally would say what ultimately made me choose Ash from Alien is the fact that Ian Holmes' performance, who we recently lost, by the way, R.I.P. Ian Holmes, incredible yeah. performer, yeah, very underrated sure. character, sure. does such a great job of playing this robot in a way where it feels like, oh, he could either be a robot or just a cold, capitalistic worker who doesn't give a single shit about actual human lives. And that's what makes it such interesting, like, performance of a character. So when the reveal happens it, the first time, if you don't know, you're shocked. But then also you're kind of like, well, that makes sense. But, like, think back on the performance, yeah. that makes 100% sense. Because um, he has this, like, sort of manager who doesn't really give a shit about individual needs kind of tone to him that really works phenomenally well. And you can see why, like, even Sigourney Weaver at that point, the Ripley character is kind of trying to play it both ways, where she wants to, like, have some kind of human connection with these assholes, but also, like, she wants to follow orders just as, like, to kind of proceed in the stupid capitalistic society that has been created by Whalen Yutani. And he works so well, especially off all those other characters to the point where when the milk scene happens in that movie, it is just like, it's the most horrific example of like, um, Fettuccine Alfredo I've ever seen as an Italian. That was really terrified. Just like, it's been put against me. My favorite dish, mamma mia. Yeah. And and, and the newspaper scene. Yes. I mean, Jesus Christ, how terrifying. Yeah, no, Ian Holm is Ash. Like you said, cold and calculating to where it makes sense he's an android, but you'd also believe like he's just a titan of industry or this yes man to a, a CEO or something. Yeah, it, it's a it's a monumental performance. All right, well, uh, what about uh, your next choice, Adam? So, my next choice is a silly one, but it's one that ever since I was a kid, I absolutely loved. And it is Joan Rivers as Dot Matrix in Spaceballs. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought it was such a funny send-up of C-3PO, and I absolutely love that movie. I think it's one of the best sort of sci-fi spoof movies, if not the best sci-fi spoof movie ever. So it's always sort of been endearing to me with her. I love the sort of little video screen she has in her chest. I love the really shitty wig that's supposed to be robot hair. I love that she's on roller skates. I love it so cheesy looking, but everything about it just makes sense to me and makes me laugh every time I see it. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember that was probably my introduction to Joan Rivers as a kid with Spaceballs. And I mean, it's, it's weird because it's not her, obviously, in the suit. It's definitely her doing the voiceover right, stuff. Sure. I, I love the design of Dot Matrix in particular as sort of like this uh, female version of C-3PO that really works. And I love her as sort of like the um, guardian of the chastity of uh, Princess Vespa, which is like the virgin alarm, just like, you watch out, buddy. <laughs> don't, don't fuck with me on this. Um, and yeah, I mean, no, she, that that's a pretty fun choice. I would, it, it's not my honorable mentions. I wouldn't have anticipated it, but that's a cute choice. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll go ahead and go with uh, my next one, um, which is not necessarily a silly one, uh, but it's, I believe if I'm right, yes, it is the most recent one on my list. Um, and uh, it's a great, sort of turn uh, for this actress and a really great example of, I think, modern sci-fi in general. It is Ava from Ex Machina. Uh, the character as played by Alicia Vikander, who, if you haven't seen um, Ex Machina, basically the premise is Dom Hulk Gleason plays this guy who's like sort of a programmer for this Apple-style uh, computer program, and he goes over to the home of the guy who runs this you know giant corporation played by Oscar Isaac, who is developing a lot of like interesting robotics technology over there at his home. And Ava is one of these robots. And uh, I, I just love, with the way that that robot is portrayed, and the way that Alicia Vikander does it, it's, it's such an interesting thing where the robot is kind of unfinished. You can see like parts of her metallic core and stuff like that. She hasn't quite been finished. That works almost because like she's stripped down enough to where she's human, but in a way where both these guys have totally different interpretations of who she is. And she has her own sort of version of that. I honestly don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen Ex Machina, but I love the way Vikander kind of plays to the sort of different ways these guys kind of treat her and how that ultimately uh, resolves by the end of the movie. Um, and also just the way it looks. That that movie was a surprise win at the Oscars for uh, like the special effects work. And I think it's seamless. Even I was re-watching, I didn't get a chance to rewatch the movie, I rewatched some clips before, and it still looks like fucking phenomenal. Where it's just it's like, oh my, this feels like the most realistic robot that could possibly happen in a way that's terrifying. Like anytime you see any of these recent robot videos, we're just like, oh look, they're developing them even more and more in a way that feels unsettling. <laughs> in a way where it's just like, oh boy, guys, are we? can we slow down a bit to prevent the robot uprising? Maybe a bit, guys. But uh, I think uh, Vikander in, in particular, like, I think she won that year for The Danish Girl, um, which is a terrible movie, uh, but she's pretty good oh. in it. Though I would honestly say she probably actually won it for Ex Machina and the Academy just didn't want to nominate her for it. I, I think that's more the case. <laughs> I think that might be the case. Ex, Ex Machina is such a fucking just phenomenal film. I mean, in every way, I, I love literally everything about that movie. I love the acting, the score, the weirdness of it. Like when Oscar Isaac and the Asian robots start doing that dance. Yeah. <laughs> and the ending is so bleak and disturbing and awesome. I, I just, yeah, I can't, I, I love that film. And that film holds a special sort of place in my heart. The first time I was ever mentioned on a podcast I used to listen to a lot was on an episode that covered that show. And uh, that movie, I mean, and I mean, I just, I absolutely am just in love with that film. It, it, I love also the fact that I, without going into details, I agree that the movies are like very bleak, but also at the same time, you're kind of like, they earned it. <laughs> I won't say who, but they earned it. <laughs> you went through a lot. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's that choice. So Adam, what is your next choice? Well, at number six, I think I have, uh, it's a, it's, it's sort of an obvious choice when this comes up. But it, he's so iconic, 
And I love that it's been the same voice actor doing it from all the iterations of it. And he's such a, just an honorable robot and just everything else. It's Optimus Prime. I, I love the voice. I love how pure and honorable the character is, even though it's a big, dumb robot that turns into a semi truck. Uh, it's just, if, if you're going to pick a transformer, I think it has to be Optimus Prime. Uh, it just everything about him. I mean, even the old animated movie when I was a kid made me cry because, you know, like, oh, Optimus is dead. Like, it, it's just I, I think the character is so cool in design and sort of execution. And it's so iconic to where, you know, it's something that I loved when I was just a little, little fella. And then kids who are my age now know who Optimus Prime is and love him. It's just, it's such a, just a purely well-designed, well-rounded character that has become so iconic because of its simplicity. And yet there's layers to the character that make it fresh every time. I, I just think it's such a really, really cool character. Yeah, this is, I think, a pretty great example of our generational gap, um, because I did not watch Transformers, I was not really around for, like, its big heyday in the 80s, and uh, then even, with, like, the other iterations that have come out since, I never really got into them. I think, weirdly, I think Power Rangers sure. kind of took that spot when I was a kid for me, um, and really the robot characters are only just kind of like, oh, cool, I collect all five of these and they come together as one giant robot. Uh, and that's why I learned about capitalism. But um, with uh, <laughs> you learned it from the uh, the Transformers. And I think at least Optimus Prime, where like, my main exposure has been those Michael Bay movies, which aren't necessarily the best depiction of the character, um, especially when you, you mentioned the honorable stuff, and yet how many times in those movies he's like, I'm going to fucking murder you guys if you don't do what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Shit like that. Um, but you know, it has been consistently uh, Peter Cullen, I believe, is the voice actor. Yes. Um, and yep. that voice gives you sort of, sort of like those feelings. I agree that like of like this purity and this honesty and trying to protect the Autobots and all this other stuff. Autobots, we must control the Allspark. <laughs> yeah. Right. That was apparently based on his brother, who was actually in the military. That's where he kind of got the voice from. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. That's true. Um, and, and has a lot of, I think, interesting implications, especially when Michael Bay kind of took over that franchise and made it even more directly militaristic than it was previously. Um, but, I mean, the Transformers, at least, like, I really like those designs. Even in those Michael Bay movies, as much as I don't like the action beats, I do like the look of those robots in their, like, usual official form. Like, even Optimus Prime looks really cool in those, those movies, uh -huh. just consistently in the special effects, especially when you can see them. Clearly, and the action sequences aren't kind of overbocked. I, I want to add mm -hmm. for anybody who's listening, you can avoid the Transformers movies. Just watch Bumblebee, right? Bumblebee, which he makes a cameo, and it's more of his '80s design, which yep. I liked the look. Uh, yep. that. Also, honestly, I would recommend. This is very weird, but I think my favorite thing to come out of those movies is weirdly the um, Transformers. I forgot what the ride is called, but Transformers: The Ride at Universal. I think is a pretty oh, really? dope cool. Universal Park ride. Yeah, honestly, I think it has the same sort of ride engine if you've ever ridden the Spider-Man ride over Downs of Adventure, where you're kind of in like this nope. little... Yeah, I, you're not a theme park person, I forgot. <laughs> but basically, you're inside a cart that goes around these screens in, in the Transformers when it's trying to find the, uh, the Allspark. Uh, Optimus Prime and all the other robots just like, we've got to find the Allspark. 
and you're just going around. But it, I think it improves upon the stuff from, because the Spider-Man rides from like 2002 or so, and it's kind of outdated at the ride mechanics. Whereas in sure. Transformers the Ride, you are fucking gliding around, and it's like weightless, and you're like, oh my god, this is so cool, and fire effects and water effects are coming out. Um, yeah, I would recommend that ride over any of the movies. <laughs> for sure. Oh. At the, oh and at the very end, Optimus like leans down on like your right in front of your cart, and he's just like, "You have served us well. You are an honorary Autobot, and you feel like you're an Autobot because you are That's dead." Badass. <laughs> I want that. I want to have that. I don't have anything else going on. That's all you've really wanted in your life. It's just that him to say that to you. Ever. I want to be an Autobot. <laughs> um, but yeah, and even the Transformers, I, I would honestly say my favorite sort of. Um, of those characters, just in terms of what I've seen, I guess it's more a star scream with uh, just his voice in particular. We'll get to that. Put a pin in that. Yeah. So why don't I go ahead and go with my next choice then, which wouldn't be a transformer, um, but is another robot mainly aimed at children, though adults can enjoy it. I've enjoyed it into my adulthood here. I have uh, the titular character from the 2008 Pixar film, Wally. I love uh, Wally just as like a an interesting character um, for a robot character where he has so much personality and life in him in a way that there's a lot of animated robots on my list. Um, well, there's a few more at least. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a few more. Um, but I think he has some of the most personality I would say of any of these robots, especially in the first like 45 minutes of the movie where it's mainly just him and then Eve eventually comes down. But I just love Wally just kind of going around trying to perform his menial tasks and he has this kind of like weird. Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, silent film star energy of going around and just uh, doing physical comedy bits that really work and endear you to the character and his love of Hello Dolly, of all things, in the post-apocalypse sort of thing of Earth. And I just love like him scrounging around and the little place he's made for himself. There's a lot of personality and love in that character in a way that I think really carries the movie through, even though I get what people have issues with with like the second half of that movie. But um, at the same time, I think his character stays so wonderfully consistent, and I really believe that he has this earnest interest in Eve and Eve ultimately grows to like have some kind of like robotic emotional reaction to him at the same time. I, I really am endeared to Wally. I think he's uh, just so adorable, Adam. Now I will agree that the character design is absolutely adorable, but I think this is exactly on the flip side of what you just mentioned with Optimus Prime, where the sort of generational gap sort of changes a little bit. This one was a little bit uh, kind of a miss for me, Wally. I, I mean, I, I appreciate it for its animation and things like that I think it's gorgeous, but it's one of the few Pixar movies that I could never really get into. But I get why he's on your list. It, 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 the thing is, he, he's one of those, if you ask people their top robots in films, I, I guarantee you at least three out of five would mention either Wally or Eve. And, and it, because he is that iconic and he is that adorable you you want to see him succeed he's he's the sort of the everyman in, in the case of a robot and it's it's a very cute design and i get why you picked it it's just wally is not one of that i'm not very beholden to that's interesting yeah um i'm fine <laughs> but no no um <laughs> but no uh, i mean i get it uh, i i guess i remember around the time a lot of people were criticizing is like oh it's just short circuit again which I grew up watching both the short circuit movies and I remember liking Johnny five quite a bit, but I feel like 
But I, I would say Wally has a bit more of an endearing personality with less, like, even language capability. I grow so much more endeared to Wally as a character. And I think even, you know, I think a lot of credit is also not just to the design and the animation, but also Ben Burt, who did a lot of the vocal effects for various different creatures in the Star Wars movies, does a lot of the vocal ones for Wally, where he mostly says his own name or just certain other noises that I think works perfectly for the character. And, uh, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's an adorable little robot that uh, Adam would just kick into the garbage. That's fine. No problem, Adam. Yeah, I probably, I probably would. It would just um, punt him right into the garbage. Yeah, I'd probably <laughs> break my foot. Still, fuck that guy. <laughs> Worth it. Um, but what about your next choice, Adam? All right, so my next choice, I wanted to put a Star Wars droid, but I didn't want to go with the obvious because... I think conversation's over if you put one of the main two. I mean, honestly, they're the most iconic robots ever. But when I was a little kid and it showed the room of bounty hunters and there was that stupid IG-88 robot, I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I thought it was so dumb. And like, what is this thing going to do? And then IG-11 and the Mandalorian happened. And Taika Waititi uh, did the voice and just everything about it. I absolutely loved I love IG-11 so much that it made a spot on my list. I love that it, it's kind of stupid, but it's so matter-of-fact about everything. Self-destruct sequence initiated. No, don't self-destruct, you know, constantly. And then he gets rebuilt by the Nick Nolte character and everything. I, I just absolutely love IG-11. Um, yeah, I do have a Star Wars droid on here. Um, I'll get to them later um but i would say yeah ig droid i guess is an interesting kind of distinction because i agree i remember i wasn't necessarily so dismissive of ig88 when i saw him in empire as much as i'm like what is that how is that a bounty hunter that's fascinating but that's that's what i'm saying yeah i'm like what is this thing what can that do like it just made no i, I was never able to sort of connect the dots on it right because i mean the, the other people like you have bosk who's got like the weird well, I, is he the lizard guy or is he the other guy that's like the weird, like almost insect like guy? That has, no, like, Bosk is like the, the dinosaur looking Right. Guy. But no, the IG droid, I think it's interesting. I think the use of IG 11 is one of those things where when that initially started happening in The Mandalorian, I was worrying about, like, is this going to be some like stupid fan service bullshit where he's just like a badass character? But I think they have that perfect middle ground of showing you what the IG unit can do, but also not going full on into fan service, look how badass he is, like I think some of the recent Star Wars stuff is guilty of. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think IG 11 really works well, particularly in the season finale of the first season. I think it's a, it's a really great example of getting you emotionally invested in one of those droids. He's on the speeder bike with baby Yoda or whatever his fucking name, Grogu or whatever. And he's flying through and he's spinning his arms this way and that all silly. And it just, capping out stormtroopers yeah dude it's fucking badass it is fan service you're 100 percent right but it's fan service done in a in a proper way that's one thing the mandalorian up until the last episode was really good at sort of taking these little ideas that people wanted to see more and making it their own and i think ig11 is a perfect example of that yeah without overkilling it with like an ig11 right i think yeah they, they may have strike the right balance between that and also just make him an actual character and of course taika doing the voice is so fun um, yeah, that, that, it works really well. But now, um, speaking of kind of comedic, you know, ideas of robots, uh -huh. 
I have um, a, a certain comedic robot who I mentioned was uh, maybe influenced a bit by the various robots in Drones and Asylum Running. I have uh, one of a few different robot characters on this television show. I have Mr. Tom Servo from Mammoth Street 3K. Is, was that one on your list as well, Adam? That's a repeat. Oh, yeah. I won more than one repeat. Blah, blah, blah. What happened? Um... <laughs> But anyway, no, with uh, Tom Servo, yeah, I, there's a lot of choices, obviously, on MST3K, and I love Crow, I, I love even Gypsy and her weird use in those shows, um, and even, like, some of the other weird robots that suddenly occasionally pop up on that show. But Tom Servo, I think, just has the most interesting personality out of any of them, and he's the one that stayed the most consistent, at least, like, he's had the least amount of cast switchings that have happened on the show, from what I recall. He had, like, it was J. Elvis Weinstein in the first season, then Kevin Murphy threw most of the run. And then in the two other yeah. seasons, it was Baron Vaughn. But I think he's still consistently been this weird, kind of fun, dorky character who also just has this, like, bravado that contrasts with Crow, who's a bit more, like, of a child, as opposed to Tom's... Crow's Revol- a dick. Well, Crow's a dick. Well, Crow, yeah, Crow's a, ch- uh, a dick and kind of more of a child versus, I think, Tom's Revol- to be fair, also can be kind of dickish. But also, he fancies himself a bit more cultured. And I love his singing, yes. especially Kevin Murphy's version of the singing voice is so fucking funny. He's such a fun character, and also such a perfect design of, like, he has, he's the shitty fucking, like, gumball machine. And he has, like, little fucking slanky arms, but it gives him so much, like, fun to see that little design have this big, booming voice. And then also be able to do, like, different concertos, like the, the one where it's at the big choir of Tom Servos in little suits. Yes. Tremendous. Um. He's also the one I think I had, like, the most fun hearing quotes from on MST3K whenever he references and stuff like that. And it's endeared me so much to Kevin Murphy as one of the different hosts of MST3K. I think he's just, like, a fun, like, comedic personality at the same time. But, yeah, uh, Tom Servo, definitely one of the... Especially since I was a kid, I was introduced to so many stupid different, like, pop cultural things because of Tom Servo's different pop culture jabs. Throughout my childhood in particular. Yeah, so uh, he was also on your list, Adam? Yeah, I'll elaborate more on that in a little bit. A couple more choices. uh, Because I also have a lot to say. And I I might have uh, done a little bit of rule bending. But, you know, fuck you. Um, (laughs) At number four, I have Ed 209 from RoboCop. And RoboCop 2, obviously. And I think even RoboCop 3. But Ed 209 in RoboCop 1 is so intimidating. And with the way he growls and the animal noises and his, the way his little foot twitches when he falls on the stairs and the way he kills that fucking guy in the boardroom. I mean, Ed 209, there was no doubt that that was like a tank with a brain. I mean, he's so scary and the design of it is so cool and so well done with those sort of like, I don't know what you want to even call them, like insect sort of kangaroo type legs that it had. And it, it's just... It's so badass and simple, yet so complex to where it's a timeless design. Like, that thing looks like it could be something that could exist today. You could put that design in a modern sci-fi movie, and it wouldn't look dated. It looks so cool. I love Ed 209. Yeah, Ed 209 was an honorable mention. He was definitely one I really contemplated putting on the list. I didn't most likely, because I knew, like, Adam's going to definitely pick that. <laughs> so, well, of course. Yes, for sure. Um, ben, but, but, yeah, That's I mean... Fair. Uh, Ed 209, yeah, I, I would agree, is a phenomenal design. And also, I think it just works so well as the great satire of the movie, in the case of, like, Ed 209's introduction, where he's like, oh my god, the sleek bass robot that you think you can control, 
and they're just like, oh, dude, you have 15 seconds to comply, and they can't control it, and that guy gets fucking Swiss cheesed out there. Swiss cheese, Mr. Kenny. I think you better do what he says. <laughs> and he still fucking just blows him apart. It's a glitch. You call this a glitch? I'm very disappointed in you, Dick. (laughs) Right, well, I I just, like, that's the thing, is even the sleek design also works for the brilliant satire, where it looks cool, but it's there for, like, this brilliant purpose. That's there at the same time that Verhoeven's Mm -hmm. totally going for. And even how, like, they, I love how they even managed to undercut it so wonderfully, with him going down the stairs, how this giant, intimidating thing, you can't go downstairs, like, it's, like, of course that would be, like, a dumb thing that a fucking capitalist thing of a fucking company wouldn't even think of. This big corporate thing, that would be an oversight, of course, and the way that, like, it has the weird shrieking noise when it's down there at the bottom of the steps is so fucking funny. Is it squirming down there? It's so good. And also, a really great example of blending the different special effects in that movie, where sometimes it's, like, stop motion, sometimes it's an actual big thing in front of everybody, and it feels pretty seamless the whole time. Absolutely. I that, that Like I said, I think that's... It's so iconic to where... You know, obviously we saw in the new RoboCop where they updated, and it was so unnecessary. But I'd argue out of even RoboCop and Ed 209... Ed 209 would be the one that you don't have to update for a modern audience. It still makes sense. Like, it looks great. I, I, I just think it looks phenomenal. Yeah, the, the design still works pretty well. And yeah, they just kind of had him as sort of a thing in the background of the sequels, even. You're just like, he's there. There's, there's Ed 209 again. You liked him the first time. Here he is again. <laughs> and again. And now in the remake, he's here again, but he's sleeker. And he's... Giant. And he's giant, and also there's no none of that satire there with the droid, with the robot. Yeah, no personality to it. No personality, none of that, yeah, it's just kind of like a big thing. I guess that's the thing about Ed 209, I think you kind of hit it on the head when you were talking, it's a perfect sort of satirical take, but for being that big dumb thing that was really sort of robotic and, you know, you have 15 seconds to comply, it still even had personality because of the noises it made when it fell down the steps, and where it looks almost like a, like a toddler trying to like learn how to navigate steps. I mean, it still had personality. It, it, it's so well done. What an expert design. Well, that's just a perfect film. Anyway, so. Yeah, part of the perfect film, for sure. Yes, yes. But now, Adam, uh, my next choice on here um, is a robot that I would argue has a lot of personality. Another animated one um, that was one of the first robots I at least remember just, like, finding so enjoyable and one I doodled a lot whenever I was in class I would just doodle the, particularly the head of this robot it is Mr. Bender Bending Rodriguez from Futurama uh, honorable mention honorable mention I know I said I, you know we've talked about how I have never seen Futurama before uh, over the last couple of weeks I've started Futurama and now I'm on season fucking 5 I'm hooked okay well hold on let me say my piece because I was an OG fan I'm that new fan yeah. here. <laughs> professor, professor Farnsworth well hold, hold on hold on you know what you know what poser okay I've been around these streets longer yeah, than you uh, have no, no, that's, um, fine. that's fine <laughs> But but no yeah uh, Bender I've I've loved ever since I was a young kid and I watched not necessarily the like I watched the like the the last part of the original run in season four when it was on but yeah I'm caught up mostly through Adult Swim with uh, Futurama 
And man, I, I just love, especially the being a Simpsons kid, I was like kind of adverse initially to Futurama just because it was a different thing. But then once I like really gravitated toward it when it was on Adult Swim, just like, oh my God, the show is so hilarious and funny and sci-fi satiric, but especially Bender, I think is so ingenious because the, the creator said that as much that like they loved using Bender because Bender was sort of this character that like they could have any horrible thing be said by him and none of the TV censors would say anything because like, oh, he's a robot. He's not a human being who would imitate right. a robot. And Bender is like so perfect. And John DiMaggio as the voice of Bender is like one of my favorite vocal performances in any show or any animated thing because he does such a great job of managing to like have this voice that feels like it could be a robot, but also just sounds like a asshole frat douche that works perfectly for that fucking design. Oh, absolutely. And there's there's so many like fun things they do with Bender over the course of Futurama. Like one of my favorite episodes is the honking, where they turn into a wear car, which is such a fucking yeah. funny bit. Or um, even oh, just Bender will just have non sequiturs that are so funny in the middle of this very smart show written by like writers from like Harvard and all these different places that have like mathematic degrees and shit. Like you have really smart jokes filed by Bender doing something dumb like singing B E N D E R Bend, <laughs> which I always got stuck in my head every time I saw that particular episode. It's just he's he's such a fun character that they're also able to manipulate in interesting ways like one of my favorite episodes that's just like a genuinely like great satiric sci-fi episode is the one where he has sort of a, a fungus that's growing on him while he's in deep space and life starts growing on himself and he starts becoming attached to the society as sort of like a weird god but then he can't control them after a certain point they end up killing each other in a horrible war it manages to make bender like who is this character that does horrible awful things have a lot more genuine emotion and power and craft in a way that like they did for the simpsons and they did for all the human characters in futurama they're still able to have at the same time for bender which makes him such like a fun creation even as the seasons kept going into the comedy central era and it wasn't as great bender was always a consistent fun highlight no matter what yeah i was definitely one of those people to where like you were uh in the beginning where i was apprehensive about it because the same people the simpsons i'm like this isn't the simpsons i don't like it so now that I found myself sort of binging it now, it's so smart and so funny, and it's populated by just so many good characters, like Professor Farnsworth, and uh, he he kills me. I mean, he might be my favorite character, but Bender is so good too. And it, the thing is, Bender's that great linchpin character, like the Simpsons have with Bart, to where you could build a whole episode or an episode arc around him and it's going to be entertaining. Anytime you build an episode around Bender, it's going to be good. It's going to be smart. It's going to be funny. Like I said, John DiMaggio's performance is so good. It's, it's so smartly written and what a great character. What a, what a, just a fantastic character. And even the, the sort of origin of his name is Bender because he was a robot that bends things. I mean, how fucking funny and smart and simple. I mean, it's just so well done. I, I absolutely cannot agree with you enough. What a great call. What a great character. And I'm so happy that I, I'm watching that show. I, I, I just can't get enough of it. Well, even joking aside from what I did earlier, like I'm, I'm very glad that you actually gave me uh, a chance and like really enjoyed it. What's been your favorite like sort of episode so far? Uh, one that I really liked is when they were on the uh, Amazonian planet. Death by Snoo Yeah, Death by Snoo <laughs> so fucking funny dude it's so fucking funny to me uh then it would have shows fry and uh uh zap yes later 
and they're they're like their body casts and like oh it was so worth it it's so funny to me i love that episode but what about um maybe a more specific bender one in particular my favorite bender bit is when fry had to move in with him to in his little apartment he's <laughs> like i guess you put your things in the closet and it's huge it's (laughs) It's just a huge regular apartment like that one was really good uh another one when fry was going to get his dog cloned and bender just fucking killed the pig basically he's like oh now we can do magic together again (laughs) like that's so funny to me but i like when bender became emperor and he's like build me a statue and they do it he's like that's pretty good. Well, we went to exactly your specifications. Maybe that's the problem. Tear it down and rebuild it. Maybe put a little more effort into it this time. <laughs> like, it's so stupid. He's such an asshole. I, I, I just, yeah, I absolutely am just enthralled by that show. Or particularly uh, his evil double flexo. Whenever flexo, <laughs> it's just a fucking goatee. So funny. Yeah, we could talk about yep. the drama for a while, but let's get back to our robots list, Adam. Let's get what's the, what's the next one on your list? Uh, next one on my list is one that you mentioned earlier. Because when I was a kid, I thought it was the coolest looking robot I've ever seen. To the point where I took a cardboard box and drew on the side of it, do tank treads and all this stuff, and I taped a pair of binoculars to the top of it, and I made my very own Johnny Five from Short Circuit. I thought that was the coolest, funniest fucking robot, and I had such a huge crush on Ali Sheedy. I had no idea that he wasn't actually Indian. You're referring to Stephen Fisher, by the way, because you didn't say who that was. (laughs) I'm like, no, Ali Sheedy was not playing an Indian character, I don't believe. I had no idea Stephen Fisher wasn't actually an Indian, uh, which now if you watch it, you're like, oh, this is a problem. But when I was a kid, it was the coolest fucking movie. When I was a kid, I liked part two more because part two is the more fun one where it becomes the punk and all this stuff because I was a kid. Now, if you watch them now, part two is not very good, but part one still kind of really holds up. It's still a really fun movie. It's a fun movie that I, I could see myself watching with my daughter in a couple of years and having her really enjoy it and things like that. I, I just think Johnny Five is such a really well done sort of animatronic character too there's a lot of personality in that character with the even the weave and the way the eye flaps sort of change and things like that like i said for me being a basically a kid of the late 80s early 90s there was no cooler robot than johnny five yeah i watched um short circuit as a kid and both of them uh, my dad showed me those and also i think short circuit 2 was another one of those just aired on comedy central a lot when I was younger, it was... I think it's the reason why I liked it more, I agree. Yeah, probably because it was also very kiddie. And also, Johnny Five becomes, like, a punk, and then <laughs> there's the whole sequence where, like, he gets dismantled, and then he chases after them, and it, it's like, is it a hold, I'm holding out for a hero is playing during that, right? Or some shit? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the most obvious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have not revisited those. I think mainly because of Fisher Stevens, honestly, is probably why I haven't revisited those in recent years. The last time I even thought about Short Circuit was there's a bit in Master of None, the Aziz Ansari show. Aziz says to one of his Indian friends, like, man, they didn't cast Indian guys in anything. Like, they Short Circuit, it was just some white dude. And his other Indian friend is like, that wasn't an Indian guy? I feel so betrayed. When you watch it now, it's, it's very, uh, 
uh, Apu-ish, uh, but even yeah, to, uh, Apu vibes is, a, I think, pretty accurate. Yeah, from what I remember of that. But at the same time, with Johnny Five, yeah, I remember at least like he, he's a very simple design and it really works for like the animatronics. I agree, and the voice to be fair, also uh, Tim Blaney, um, who was the voice yes, actor. So good. I want to be alive. <laughs> Johnny Five yeah. is alive. <laughs> And all this other shit. Yeah, it's, 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 it works. Yeah, I, I remember liking it, like I said, a lot as a kid. Um, I, it was not an honorable mentions or anything like that, but that's another cute choice, Adam. Fuck you, man. <laughs> the, the last one I have before um, my, my number one, since I was going to have T-800 after this, but we already talked about it previously. So I'll go with uh, my second to last choice here, which is um, the Star Wars choice I was mentioning earlier. And I guess uh, to Adam, this is the basic choice. Uh, one of the basic choices, but I would argue, I think, of the two robots, it's the one that at least gets more, sort of, like, criticism hurled at him, necessarily. I have, uh, from Star Wars, C-3PO, who I think is more divisive than R2-D2 as a character, because, like, I, yeah, no one usually has any issues with R2-D2, aside from, like, the weird things that he does in the prequels don't make any sense. It's like, oh, he can fly around, but that never happened <laughs> in the, any yeah, any point afterwards. But also in the prequels. Well, C-3PO was built by Anakin, so I mean, there's there's arguments everywhere. Well, that's true, but also I think just the personality of C-3PO in general, I've seen even from people like, oh, I love the original trilogy, but C-3PO is so annoying, he just keeps talking. Oh, I, right. Well, stupid. What, what I like about C-3PO is the fact that I think he has one more personality, honestly, than R2-D2, as much as I like R2-D2 a lot. I think C-3PO has a more, like, fun, interesting personality, he's just sort of like this British butler who's constantly taken on journeys, and constantly isn't equipped for them at all, as a and- design. Bothering people and 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 doing things in the, at the worst possible moment, right? Like, yeah, dude, C three PO is the perfect movie robot. I agree. Well, I, but uh, to continue my thoughts on my choice, that I put on my list. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just love the design of the protocol droids as well, um, because it's very clearly inspired by like some earlier robot stuff. But also, it's just so perfect where like the way his arms move. In that particular, where we can't actually bend them forward that much, like so, he just has a constant like, oh my word, just going around like that. It's so funny to me, and I think he's more consistent even in like the later, the, the recent sequel trilogy. I would argue he has a lot of fun moments that like some people have the criticism like, oh my god, why aren't him and R2 used as much? It's like, well, one BB-8's there, and BB-8's a cute new robot. I completely get it, but also you don't like need to have them do much more than they do in the sequel trilogy, particularly. I'll never stop fucking laughing at his introduction in Force Awakens with just, like, the, the big reunion of Han and Leia. And then he comes in like, Sir, look, it's me! Look at my red arm. Did you notice my red arm? <laughs> just like, who gives a fuck, dude? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a classic sort of rehash of the moment Empire Strikes Back when they're, Han and Leia are about to kiss. And C-3PO pops in. He's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah. No, dude, C-3PO is perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Anthony Daniels is amazing. Right, yes, Anthony Daniels, which we should mention, he's one of the few times where the guy doing the voice is also the guy in the suit, in this particular right. case, even down to the most recent movies, despite how, at this point, what, he's like pushing 70, I think, at this point. Um, he's still in the suit that whole time, and uh, he's been the voice in every single possible incarnation of any Star Wars bullshit. If you hear C-3PO's voice, fucking Anthony Daniels probably recorded that shit. The moment that like introduces you to Star Wars is him and R2-D2 on the ship in Episode Four, and you instantly are immediately thrown into this back and forth with him and R2-D2, and he is so vital 
for Lad to like work as well as it does. He's more of a comedic foil, but at the same time, I think that works so well for any of the comedic beats. I think work perfectly. Even stuff that can be kind of questionable, like say in Return of the Jedi when he ends up becoming a god to a primitive species that has some weird optics to it. It's still really funny to see him, especially in the fucking status of this godship, and he doesn't have any kind of like godliness to him. It's so upset. Like honestly, the only time where I really have issue with C-3PO is just in Attack of the Clones. When they use him for full-on, like, slapstick shit with him and the battle droids. And the whole bit where his head's being dragged. And he says, this is such a drag. He's just like, guys, god fucking damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we doing that? But also, at the same time, even in the prequels, I really love the look of him uh, sort of naked. The puppet animatronic they use for that. Where it's being manipulated by, like, Anthony Daniels on green screen and stuff. Uh, I just, I, I think C-3PO has been the more consistent robot to me of, of any of the Star Wars movies, really. The thing is... You know, as my next pick is going to illustrate, there are certain robot characters that are a pair. You know, a lot of people, C-3PO, R2-D2, C-3PO. But I believe there is enough of a differentiation between those two characters to where C-3PO, to me, is absolutely the standout. I I think uh, in basic design and look, and what a smart idea to make this shiny sort of gold copperish looking robot with these bright yellow eyes and yet there's so much emoting and everything that comes between it he's this real nebbish sort of scared character who's constantly whining about everything yet he's the crux behind a lot of the story of the star wars universe i i i I absolutely love c-3po love c-3po well, Adam, I have a feeling based on some process of elimination context clues about what your pairing might be and what might be yeah. uh, breaking the rules a bit. So uh, go ahead and uh, break the rules. What's what's that uh, next choice? Well, I broke the rules in, in the ass. In the ass. <laughs> I broke the rules in the ass. <laughs> I have a hard time separating the two, and uh, I, I my next choice is Tom Servo and Crow. Because I love them both for different reasons but i could not separate them like i don't think i could enjoy them without the other like i tom servo is great because of his sort of interaction inclusion with crow and and i do think vice versa um i i i mean we both have seen them live i have the funko pops of them i i still like you know watch riff tracks to this day i'll watch old mystery science theater to this day they they were the first sort of um example to me of how to watch a movie that's so bad it's good and bulk fun of it it's because of them that i'm able to do that with certain movies um they're so important to me as far as even uh a lot of my sense of humor and um just sort of my criticism on film in general because of those two characters. I, I, I just, I can't sort of, I can't separate them to me. The one does not exist without the other. And I, I think, you know, it's one of those things. It was so niche and nerd culture and sort of, you had to be in this club. If you liked a mystery science theater, like it wasn't super mainstream. Um, but it's just, it's one of those nerd clubs that I'm so happy to belong in. And it's because of those two characters. And, and I just, I love them so, so much. Like I would kill, literally I would murder you, Thomas, 
just you though, not nobody else, but I would murder you, Thomas, to have uh, like life-size replicas of them in my home. I, I, I just, I can't sing their praises enough. I, I absolutely love those two characters. They have informed my sort of appreciation of film and sense of humor about film um, since the beginning and to this day. Well, it's uh, time for me to finish writing my ticket for you to go to jail for breaking the rules. Um, nah, I don't care. It's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as I mentioned, I love Tom Servo. I'll give you that. I did break the rules. I, I'm sorry. But you know what? So. You know what? <laughs> no, I believe this is uh, Law and Order. You are uh, sentenced to jail. Uh, straight to jail bum, with you. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> yes. Bow, bow. Um, but no, I mean, I, I mentioned my love of Tom, so I guess I'll stick mainly to Crow here. Um, yeah, I, I really, um, have been endeared, especially their, their back and forth, and Crow also, I think, just has, like, at least the more zany kind of, like, threads, especially in, like, the Mike era, where you would have him, like, either encounter an evil twin, or he would do, like, some of the things they would do cheaply with, like, Crow, where he would, like, stretch out his arms, like, there's that one episode where I think they just stretch him out, <laughs> and he's super it's tall. So <laughs> it's so <laughs> fucking funny. Or even just weird stuff, like, his love of people like Estelle Winwood, um, or yes. um, his, uh, his love of Kim Cattrall and shit like that, of course, uh, just, like, really fun stuff, and they, they work so well each other because Tom has kind of, like, the uh, bigger brother attitude to Crow, that really works for their like back and forth and obviously whoever the host is kind of has to play dad in that scenario and it works really well between the two of them and also the design for crow once again is so perfectly like cheap where you can tell like oh there's part of like a hockey like guard mask thing for his head and the whole bit of like his mouth is like a pinball uh, a pin uh, a bowling pin and shit like that um it, it's such a like fun and genius little design and I think that works for, like, the homemade aesthetic that Joel Hodson kind of created for that show. It's just perfectly exemplified in those two robots. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, they're both worthy of being on the list. Maybe not on the same entry in the rules that we established. But, you know, they're so both worthy yeah, of being on the list. I did that. I'm a rule breaker. A rebel, a Lord. renegade. Give me your badge and your yeah. gun. You're off the Patreon force. <laughs> Well, Adam, now um, we have reached the point where it's time to do our number ones. And, uh, I know. I'm very curious. I'm very, very curious. I think I know what number one might be. I think I do. Here's the thing. Yeah, I, I think mine would be more obvious to anybody who knows me, but I'm very curious about yours because I can't think of it at the moment. But you broke the rules, so it could be anything. Who knows? You could just go full renegade at this point. But, True. But... I'll go ahead and do mine, uh, which fits in the parameters, and like I said, if you know who I am, you know I'm a big fan of this uh, big old fella and his movie. I have The Iron Giant from the eponymous film, The Iron Giant. Um, this was always going to be number one. Um, the Iron Giant is one of my favorite just characters in film or TV or anything, and I think it's because he's such a phenomenal example of having like a robot arrive on earth and have like these kind of, you know, sort of almost ET kind of issues with like being a fish out of water and learning to have affection for a human. And then especially as he learns the concept of death and what that means and how he wrestles with that. It's such a phenomenal, especially use of like the cell shading kind of computer animation that works perfectly off the 2d. It's one of the great blends that you would see a lot in the late nineties of those two styles voice by Vin Diesel has this great mix of being huge and booming, but also childlike. And just some of my favorite animated moments in general are like him discovering the deer and realizing what that means or him 
like having the Superman stance, or especially at the moment where it seems like Hogarth has died, and uh, Dean tries to confront him about it, like, you killed him, you did this, and he has the most sad look on his face that he would do this, and, like, crushes his soul so horribly, to the point where, like, obviously when we get to the ending, and he does the Superman thing, and any human has some kind of emotional reaction, whether it is crying or some kind of feeling of pang of emotion at that point. It just proves that, like, yeah, he's just the one of the greatest characters in, like, movies to me, robot or human or otherwise. He supersedes his uh, programming. Yeah, I, I, I think the Iron Giant is the most perfect, I mean, if you want to call it this, but the most perfect non-Disney animated film ever made if not one of the most perfect animated films ever made i i think it's an absolutely joy of the film um and and the way it's told the aesthetic of it the character design the sort of setting of it vin diesel's performance amazing it's just such a beautiful beautiful sweet film that really elicits emotion out of you and i i cannot agree with you more about the iron giant i think it's absolutely perfect i i knew that was going to be your choice and uh i can't disagree with you in any way that's one of the the few animated movies that i can actually put on anytime and watch from beginning to end with no pauses no interruptions and thoroughly enjoy myself every time i watch it so you would say uh you don't go you stay but you want people to follow you in that case Oh man, that ending is so sad. <laughs> so sad. Well, Adam, so. now I'm incredibly curious. Well, who is your number numero uno robato? My number one of all time is I picked it because A, it gave me nightmares as a child. B, I think it's a just a perfect performance ever. Is Yul Brenner as the man in black in Westworld. He is terrifying. He's absolutely just enigmatic when he's on screen his line delivery is flawless you absolutely become scared of him after a while um even when he's first on screen and he gets plugged by homeboy in the 70s stash you're you're like oh yeah i get it even then though you're like oh there's something about that guy and he becomes basically a terminator robot before terminator existed He's terrifying, and it's just his physicality and the way he moves. Obviously, it's Yul Brenner. He was a dancer and a Broadway performer, but it adds so much to the character to where, like I said, I had nightmares about him as a child, and he still is one of my top 10 most terrifying characters of all time. I, I, I cannot express how much that performance and the idea of that character opened my eyes to the possibility of robots being evil and what they could do if they turn against humanity and he is single-handedly responsible for that well um i have seen westworld and i won't necessarily uh poo-poo the actual character i think um the the choice of yule brenner obviously works really well 
because of the what we were taking from like the Magnificent Seven at that time and seeing Brenner in that particular role. I do agree that's a, a lot of the inspiration for Terminator, and I guess I didn't just have him as an honorable mention necessarily because I'm not a fan of that original Westworld movie. I think it's a really dull slog when especially we don't see the Yul Brenner robot, and I don't give a single fuck about those two dudes that we follow throughout most of the movie. I think it's a cool concept that just was like not executed that well by a Michael Crichton, who I don't believe had directed a movie at that time, and I really think it shows for the most part in that movie. Uh, I think other people, like you mentioned, like The Terminator and some of these other influences, even like the at least the first season of the, the TV show inspired by it, I think did a lot better with that concept. The the robot, though, at the same time, I don't think it's a, it's a bad choice at all to have well, thanks. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like I said, and I, cause I do still really like the movie because it's one that I saw it as a kid and it holds a special place in my heart. But taking that aside, watching Yul Brenner's performance and what he does with it to me is why he's my number one. He, he takes kind of silly material and a, a schlocky sort of movie, which would be considered probably a B movie. Uh, by today's standards, and really elevates his performance. It, he's just, you know, he he's terrifying, and and he's so well done. He's such a little fella too, and he's got sashing hips the whole time. And there's just some about him though that is so intimidating and evil. Um, and, and what they did with the lighting on the eyes and everything. I mean, he's just yeah. For me, he's the quintessential sort of robot gone bad he is definitely the best part of that movie you know who i wanted to pick (laughs) is one but i didn't because i decided the very last minute that they shouldn't be sort of included because they're bioengineered (laughs) and how nerdy we were talking uh is roy batty of course for blake oh wait yeah why what they're bioengineered they're not robots they're flesh and blood they just have a, a, a lifespan. They're not robots. Huh. Um, okay. I mean, that's honestly the only reason why I didn't have any Blade Runner things on here, because I figured you would do it. Oh, no, it would have been quite bad, but I did a little bit of my own research. They do. They have no mechanical parts or gear parts. <laughs> I just love the irony of Mr. Motherfucker broke the rules. It's like, but I gotta stick to the rules this time. <laughs> oh, man. Well, of co- well, it would have been Roy Batty as number one. <laughs> but, you know... Because Roy Batty is my all-time movie villain of all time. He's my favorite ever. But he has no gears or uh, robot parts. And this how nerdy this whole thing got to where I started second-guessing my own choices. And I hate you for it, Thomas. I hate you. <laughs> I wrote your name in the snow in piss. Well, I used to consider that an honor. I appreciate it. That, that's such a that's a big distinction. Well, then I pooped on it. Then I pooped on the. Name. Oh, that's even. That, I think that's like kind of like a knighthood. But then you also have like a second part, like a title attached. I'm like a duke now. I guess I don't know. Well, people keep knocking on my door and asking, "Who is this, Sarah Thomas?" <laughs> well, uh, I think on that note, I think it's time we go into honorable mentions. Then, Adam, uh, ones that uh, didn't make your list, even though you break the rules all the time. So I'm not surprised if any of your honorable mentions that aren't on the list. So go ahead. What's next? What, what, what's your honorable mentions? All right, well, we already did Robbie the Robot. I had the T-1000. I had David from Prometheus, because, I mean, what is just a masterful performance. I had Gigolo Joe from AI. I had the Fembots from Austin Powers, because I think they're hilarious. I had Starscream 
from uh, you know Transformers because not only is he Starscream, but it's Cobra Commander's voice too. So that always got me as a kid. I had Gertie from Moon, the Kevin Spacey robot. The only reason to make my list because it's Kevin Spacey. I have Bender. I have the Chopping Mall drones, and then I have the Keanu replica because when he tightens his tie at the end, <laughs> it is the fucking shit seen. <laughs> okay well um for me I'll, I'll just say right at the top the ones that i shared at least you with you for honorable mentions ed 209 uh, was on your regular list um but also an honorable mention one gertie you mentioned um i would agree gigolo joe as well was on there um but some other ones um would be uh, mecha godzilla from the various different godzillas god damn it wow what mecha godzilla the, the the weird thing about Mechagodzilla though is sometimes he's technically a cyborg because he's made of like parts of Godzilla and sometimes he's like a mech that people are in. That's why I didn't choose him honestly because it's a weird different varieties. So I was just like I'll just have him as an honorable mention. He's gonna be in the new movie. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but also I had uh, the machine person from Metropolis. Ooh, yeah. Well, talk about iconic. Yeah, that's True. that's so iconic. Yes. Uh, TikTok from Return to Oz. We've talked about on the show previously. Um, I had Gort from Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, no. Why wasn't Gort on my list? Because <laughs> uh, you had to make room for yeah. breaking the rules. Um, I had uh, Gur from Invader Zim. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, who always found very funny. I had Marvin the Paranoid Android from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Whether movie or the, the TV adaptation, they did have always loved that character. And then I have the two sort of like funnier ones. I have um, one BB from Deadly Friend, who I think is like such a f- stupid fucking funny droid. That fucking list, dude. That almost made my fucking list. <laughs> Same. Honestly, it was on there for a while, then I'm like, no, I'm not going to put that on there. Um, but then also I had the cybernetic ghosts of Christmas past from the future from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's perfect! Every time that fucking robot shows up, it's just like... In a long time ago, in the future. <laughs> yes! <laughs> The funniest fucking thing. Oh, you got me with that one. Oh, that's a good one. It seems like I did several. You were just like, oh my god, why wasn't that there? Mm Mm-hmm. You really, really did, man. You had a lot of good ones, man. I almost threw, like, some silly ones on mine. Like, I didn't, obviously, they're on mine. But I almost put Bicentennial Man just to throw you for a fucking loop. (laughs) But then I'm like, how am I going to explain that? I can't do that. Look, honestly, the biggest loop is that not putting Roy Batty on there. That was, like, the biggest loop you could have ever done. (laughs) But like I said, man, I did a little bit of research, and it wouldn't have made sense. I get it, I get it. But, I mean, like, the one I regret not at least having most on there is probably, like, a Gigolo Joe. I think Gigolo Joe is just, like, especially an underrated one that deserves a lot more mention. It's just sort of, like, a really complex, interesting robot that doesn't get enough love now 20 years after that fucking movie came out. That's one of those few movies we've covered on our show, too, to where after we've watched we watch it, expecting it to be kind of like the bad pick, we're like, no, this is actually a really good fucking movie. <laughs> this is a phenomenal movie. Not enough people are talking about it. <laughs> this is actually really phenomenal. <laughs> one of the grand rated sci-fi classics of our time. Um, it absolutely is! <laughs> Uh, been on this list. That's true. Uh, of, of at least your honorable mentions, what is the one that you regret not having on there the most? Probably Gigolo Joe. 
honestly. Either Gigolo Joe or uh, David from Prometheus. Yeah, David was one I really contemplate just because, like, I, those movies have so many problems, but David is so consistently fascinating. He's so good. It's, it, it, it is my favorite Fassbender performance, is David. Yeah, it's also, it's the, it would, I would argue of, like, the various robots you mentioned, he's, like, the bleakest character possible. Oh my god, he's terrifying. Like, I don't think any of our other robots committed genocide. Uh, well, no, not unless you count the T-800 and his model. But no one single character committed genocide. No, one single character committing mass genocide? No. Then, yeah, it's David. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, sure. I rewatched both those movies, and especially I think Covenant is a lot better than I remembered. Covenant's not a bad movie. No, honestly. It's not. But I think Covenant is a little bit more, um, I don't want to say comprehensible, but a little bit more even consistent tone than Prometheus. Yeah, that's why I think I like it more. I think it has a better balance of like the gory stuff from like the aliens and also just the, the weird Prometheus stuff. That I think works a lot better as a, as a blend. It fits so perfectly also as like a bleak Ridley Scott movie of just like even like the people acting stupid, I think works so much better. In that context, we're just like, oh, of course, this is like his view on humanity. Of course, these like super intelligent people do stupid things all the time. Honestly, being in the middle of COVID kind of made their actions yeah. far less stupid. Because <laughs> like, oh, yeah. people doing stupid, even if they're super smart scientists, of course they would do these stupid things on the alien planet. Let's sniff this random fucking vegetable pod on a planet we've never been to. Yeah. Let's do that. How fucking dumb are you? Covenant holds up a lot more than Prometheus does. I still like a lot of the um, sort of production design of Prometheus, uh, but Covenant's a better movie, I think. Plus, I would, I would also say of the, the the weird like weird interstitial things they released with both Prometheus and Covenant, the best one of those is the sort of intro video they did for David, where it's just uh, Michael Fassbender talking directly to camera as David, and it's so unsettling. I'd recommend anything else watching that video. It's all, You can find it online. It's really great. Yeah, it's creepy and weird. But yeah, I think that ends our robot list. Uh, that was interesting. Very contentious. Very, uh, lots of back and forth I didn't expect. But no, that was that was a very twisty and turny little episode we did there, Adam. It was very Shyamalan. <laughs> what a twist, yes. Uh, but before we go, we did want to at least read a brief bit of feedback from one of our patrons and a guest on the show previously, Jonathan Habda McHale, talking about our Tron legacy commentary, where he says, Another great commentary. I really forgot how drawn out this movie was um, after the nightclub scene. Michael Sheen is the real gem of the later half of the movie. Uh, with the constant exposition, it seemed like... Cora's uh, DNA post-medical breakthroughs via biodigital jazz of the ISOs. That should have really been the crux of Clue's conflict. Like you guys said, they should have been more concerned with expanding the control over the grid and destroying the uncontrollable. A war against a digital fascist would have been great. Uh, we got a fake-looking deepfake of Jeff Bridges and a naive yet alluring Olivia Wilde instead. Yeah, I think that's the conclusion we pretty much came to with that commentary. Um, I did listen back to that commentary, not to toot our own horns, but it's probably my favorite of the commentaries we've done, just because of the weird sort of turn we both kind of do on the movie <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah, I agree. I, I had a really good time uh, recording that one. Like I said, it, that was one of the ones that, you know, I really championed that movie when it came out, and then rewatching it for our show, I'm like, I still like it, but I can see the faults in it, and that's okay. And that is okay. You could still like something and see the faults. You don't have to be all in all the time. Yes, of course. That's definitely the case. Uh, But before we officially leave now, Adam, it's time we tease some things. Uh, First off, 
The next main episode we're definitely going to do for the bonus thing, where we always commit to at least one bonus episode for all you guys. For March, it is going to be, as we've teased on uh, sort of the posts and stuff and everything, we are doing a March Madness Bracket, where um, it'll be us and three other compatriots uh, who we've come together with, and we have, uh, as you saw on the post that we asked, where we asked for you guys to contribute a couple choices, we have 32 slots that are filled, and uh, of the best movie villain. And it's a very wide range and interesting. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of different insane. choices. The seating we've already done is a quite fascinating. Um, it'll be fun to record that. Um, also anticipate uh, you're going to get every bit of your, at least a dollar on that, because that's going to be a long-ass episode. <laughs> long episode. We're talking hours, son. Probably. Because we're going to go every every character. It's going to be super fun, though. Yes. Um, and I'm really happy with the people we've chosen and who's contributing as well. Too. Let's throw in a caveat, though, for anybody who's listening to this who might be curious about what we're doing. We're talking about each p- person as a villain. We're not making them fight each other. No. Very good because point. Because if we yes. make them fight each other, it's going to be chaos. Yes. Which I'm all for. Which there might still be a little inkling of that here and there, but it's just going to be who was the better villain in their original source material. Yeah, because, I mean, some of those choices, even including the two of the choices that were uh, picked by you patrons, um, if they faced off against certain other characters, they would not be a fair fight, and it would be pretty easy to determine if it was just based on... There's two characters that were chosen who would win the whole fucking thing. Yes. If we went that way. So, But we're not going that way. We're going by the actual clout of their characters as villains, for sure. Yes. Um, and also, Adam, I think we can tease this here. Uh, we've been talking about doing this where, um, and, and back in December, we did the little sort of surprise podcast thing where we talked about Wonder Woman and Soul, uh, two recent yes. uh, releases on streaming. And uh, we're going to, I guess, kind of bring that back as another semi-regular podcast. It depends on the movie, what's coming out, what we're going to do with it. Um, that we want to talk about. Um, I know, in, uh, and we're going to call it, uh, I believe the title we ch- both uh, mutually agreed on was On the Edge of Relevance. Yes. Like we said, it's going to be semi-regular. It depends on the movie. I think the one I, one of the ones we're going to do definitely would be Godzilla vs. Kong. But I do think also, are we going to do the Justice League Snyder Cut, Adam? Are we going to talk about that? I think we kind of have to. Because A, I don't want to devote a whole other episode to DC, and I don't want to devote a whole episode to Zack Snyder. But that is a very important sort of monument in cinema, modern cinema that's happening. Uh, so yes, I think we might have to do the Snyder Cut. I would not say it's maybe important as much as an interesting piece of cinema. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, well, important in the way that is this going to become a regular thing? We'll we'll talk about that for sure. Yes, yeah, so I think it's it's pretty clear that'll come out on March 18th. So around at some point, we keep in mind this will be very like loose. We're gonna it'll not be a very like <laughs> well edited episode necessarily. We'll yeah. watch it, we'll talk about it, and I'll put it up with some very minor editing, basically, yeah, when we uh, talk about it. So, yeah, that'll be the 18th, so at some point around, like, that following week, we'll talk about it. Um, but, yeah, anticipate those on a semi-regular basis. And I also want to tease something else for our patrons. Yes. We have sort of discussed a new commentary that won't be for a little while, but I'm going to say it might be the best commentary for the best movie ever made. Uh, yeah, that will come out in May, and in April we'll have a media discussion, which we'll announce 
um, around the end of the March Madness thing. You know, when we were both delirious and just yes. completely gone as people. Just oh, by the way, we're gonna talk about this show, right? <laughs> um, but but yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. So stay tuned, patrons. And on that note, it's uh, time to power down, Adam. Time to power down your power cells. I don't know how to love. You never taught me how.